hard but fun. I think that captures how today's guest feels about having bought a business. Daryl Lindy got the notion to get into small business while in the Navy, where he was working in the supply chain. He was buying materiel from a lot of different small business owners and got a window into their lives, their careers. It seemed fulfilling, seemed fun, and it seemed like a good fit for Daryl. One MBA later, and he had found a business doing $650,000 of SDE right there in Rhode Island, where he lived and he and his wife had resolved to stay. He closed this past July, 2023. Now, about that MBA. Listen for what Daryl has to say about whether you should have one before going down this path. Hint, nope. Some other topics we hit on. Buying a cashy business. Buying a business with real estate. How to deal with a rocky transition. And, as ever, the realities of small business ownership. How hard is it? Also, at the end, Daryl and I talk about new majority capital his initiative to enable more underrepresented people to become owners using the path of ETA. Please enjoy this conversation with Daryl Lindy, owner of AA Thrifty Sign and Awning. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs, and on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. You already know that business owners are making amazing use of virtual assistants, often based in the Philippines. And while virtual assistants are helpful, virtual professionals are transformative. More Staffing is a boutique agency that hires A players in the Philippines, not for simple tasks, but for deep competency work. Think operators, supply chain managers, controllers. More staffing de-risks your engagement with a 12-month guarantee to you, and they provide coaching for six months to their talent when an engagement begins. That means your hire is coached in the background, no additional cost to you, so that your working relationship flourishes and is as successful as it can be. Global staffing is increasingly the norm, and building the muscle within your business to take advantage of it will be crucial in the years ahead. Speak with more staffing about the pool of capable, affordable managers they can connect you with. Check out morenow.co. That's morenow.co. Daryl Lindy, welcome to Acquiring Minds. Thank you, Will. Great to be here. Daryl, you bought a sign in awning business just a few months ago, you closed. Sizable business, 77-year-old business in the great state of Rhode Island, a state that uh, I spent some years in uh, way back when. And in addition to your acquisition, you're also spearheading a couple of other initiatives that are uh, near and dear to your heart and showing early signs of a lot of promise. So we're also going to hear about what those are. But start us off, please, Daryl, with some background on you. Background. So it, it starts in uh, 1992. Well, just joking around about that. And, um, but no, uh, originally from Maryland, Bowie, Maryland, uh, went to the Naval Academy for undergrad, uh, graduated 2014, uh, commissioned, spent most of my time on active duty as a Navy supply car officer. So I was dealing with logistics, procurement, 
And it was there where I was working with a lot of small businesses, you know, trying to, you know, get things, um, you know, for the Navy and kind of saw a big opportunity there. So, you know, towards the end of my time in the Navy, you know, trying to figure out what I would do next in life, uh, decided that, uh, you know, I could, or figured out I could actually buy a business and was kind of hooked on it ever since. So, uh, went to business school, um, did that, did, did a dual degree at the Kennedy School and MIT Sloan. And uh, throughout that process was always searching for an acquisition target. Um, happened to find one about 30 minutes where I lived, which was pretty much my uh, a radius that my wife was allowing me to do that in and uh, 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 jumped in. Uh, so closed on uh, July 7th and uh, yeah, it's been about 110, 115 days since then. So, but who's counting? Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl, when you were in the Navy and you said you saw an opportunity and, and that then you later learned about buying businesses, connect those dots. What, what was this opportunity that you perceived while working in, in supply chain in the Navy? Yeah, no, it was one of those things where I, I saw a lot of, you know, older, uh, predominantly white men. Um, you know, that I was doing business with that, uh, it seemed pretty simple. Um, they were, you know, selling things, um, um, that, you know, obviously my submarine or the Navy needed. And it was one of those things where it's like, well, why can't I do that? You know, I've been on the other, mm -hmm. other side purchasing it. Um, so can I be on the other side actually selling it? Um, so, uh, it was one of those things where a lot of them, um, would joke after we developed a relationship, like, hey, if you're you know, thinking about getting out or, you know, staying here in Hawaii or, you know, not moving, you know, maybe you can come by this, you know, pretty. Uh, ah. Yeah. So it was just one of those things where they, they kind of planted the seed in my head a little bit. Oh, interesting. And these were all people who were doing well. So you also saw not only a kind of I could do what they're doing, but like a, an attractive career in in what they had built or what they were running. Absolutely. Yeah. It was something that, you know, the lifestyle was attractive. Um, you know, just, you know, I thought they were, you know, all pretty fulfilled in what they were doing. Um, so, um, it was a combination. Um, mm -hmm. and it's just Great. something that I was like, Hey, let me, let me jump into this. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, and were, were you somebody who had kind of, um, was predestined to be in business or to be an entrepreneur or was, or were these, this exposure to this kind of class of small business owner, was that really your first inkling that you might be an entrepreneur. You know what? It, it's really funny you mentioned that. Well, um, my uh, grandfather, um, you know, started a business um, third generation right now. So was always kind of familiar with the small business realm. But just growing up in the D.C. area, both my parents kind of working, you know, in you know, government or nonprofit. It was one of those things where um, I felt like I was never going to do it until I really got close to it. Um, mm. you know, being in the Navy and kind of was like, you know, well, why, why not do this? You know, like what mm -hmm. else am I going to do once I, I get out of the Navy? And this seems pretty fun and another challenge. So great. Thank you. I think you said that you were once in business school, you were doing a dual degree. You were doing mm -hmm. an MBA at MIT Sloan and the master's of public policy at Harvard's Kennedy school. Did I get that right? Yeah. Public administration, but you know, Pu public administration. And so, um, but you went into these programs already feeling like you might buy a business. So you were using your time there to learn about that. So why the master's of public administration? Where does that fit into being an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, well, I, I think that um, maybe there's an opportunity for me to, you know, 
pivot or kind of enter back into like government in some way. Um, and, you know, really one of the, the big things that was kind of always like a, a driving thing in my life was just seeing like the like of um, diversity and like who I was actually doing business with in the Navy, you know, who I was buying mm -hmm. from. And that, that really bothered me. And um, if there are ways to, you know, kind of help um, with the procurement process, and that's something that I always wanted to jump into because I just felt it was so important um, to me. Um, so a part of me doing the NPA was, you know, trying to figure out like if there was a way for me to, you know, eventually help later on, um, once I got some of this, like, you know, small business, you know, operator, um, you know, experience, and, you know, mm -hmm. understanding, you know, both sides of the, the issues and, and hopefully trying to help it later on. So while you're doing these programs and, and you're at Sloan getting your, your MBA, you are learning about search, taking ETA classes. What does that look like? What's your education you, look like? You know, it was kind of the dirt road path. I was on Search Funder, you know, I was reading the books, um, you know, many of which your guests have mentioned on here, whether it's, you know, the HBR Guide to Buying a Small Business, Buy Then Build, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? You know, you read all mm -hmm. these books and you're getting expired. You're, um, you know, The Outsiders. It's funny because I was actually um, uh, reading The Outsiders and uh, very serendipitous, but was having lunch with the guy who it was his father as one of the outsiders in the book. So I'm like telling this guy, you know, Hey, um, I'm really interested in, you know, buying a small business and, you know, right now reading this book called, you know, the outsiders. And it's funny because like one of the guys, you know, in the book, his last name is, you know, X and he's like, yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> so it's no really, really, wow. it's really, really funny. Um, but it's uh, one of those things where I think all these things you know, inspired me. And, um, one of the key things I want to drive at is just like, um, you know, I really feel like I enjoyed my time, you know, in grad school, but in a sense, I felt like it, it slowed me down from what I'm doing right now. Um, mm. and I don't necessarily know if the, the experience was like necessary for me to get where I'm at right now, but I'm really happy that I, I did it. Um, so I think a lot that I learned, whether it was from those books or utilizing the resources that I had in my network, my, my wife's a CPA. So, you know, a lot of times when I was like doing, you know, initial, you know, DD on anything, you know, I was showing it to her, my father-in-law is a CPA as well too. So, you know, I was kind of, you know, bouncing things off of him, you know, I had other friends, you know, in the network or, you know, from listening to acquiring minds who I would, you know, contact and reach <laughs> out to. And, you know, I got to say too, well, that this podcast was actually you know, really helpful to people in my family to listen to episodes and kind of convince them that this was like actually the right path for me. Like, Hey, you know, I can actually do this. And, um, so I want to That's say thank great, you man. for that. Um, it's so great to hear. Um, yeah, I mean to, I forgot what the initial question was. I, I started to ramble, so I'll let you, That's uh, okay. So did I, but I have, I have some follow-up questions here, Daryl. So let's, uh, hear a little bit more about how, as you reflect back, you feel like your MBA was, you're really glad that you did it, but it wasn't, you don't feel like it was actually necessary and it actually slowed you down a little bit because, and, and maybe orient your answer toward this fact that I do have a lot of people who on the pod who have MBAs and MBAs often from, you know, just sterling schools like your own. But then I also have a lot of uh, people who don't, and I have a lot of listeners who maybe don't have, you know, an MBA from Sloan or HBS, 
And it's probably intimidating or alienating to feel like, oh, so do I have to have gone to a top 10 business school to do this thing? How do you, how do you answer them? I mean, absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I would say um, there are so many resources out there, and I know we'll get to you know, New Majority Capital later on in the interview, but there are so many resources and um, people um, who I feel will be able to help in this process. Um, for me, um, you know, I only took like maybe like a handful, like I would say like one or two classes during my entire three years that were really focused around you know, buying a small business or, you know, operating it. And, you know, they think that I'm actually, you know, doing this right now. And, you know, how many other classes I had were necessarily on that topic. You know, it was really self-taught. It was um, outside of the classroom with the resources that I, I mentioned before. So, um, I mean, I mean, in short, absolutely not. Um, do not feel like you need to do that. Um, if anything, I think that it'll just slow you down and maybe you might be talked out of it, you know, because so many other people are not going that path in business school. You know, I think of my class from Sloan and there might be one or two other people who are actually like pursuing ETA right now. So, um, you know, the, the masses are not doing this. So, you know, if anything, you know, the connections that I make from lists or, you know, people who have been on this podcast or, you know, I work through New Majority Capital or, you know, just, you know, talking to other people in the SMB space to me is more impactful um, and some of maybe the relationships that I have from people that I met at Sloan, just based on the kind of career path and what people are choosing to do afterwards. Man, Daryl, that is such a good point that has never occurred to me because I come at this from what I just said, which is that there are a lot of uh, people from MBA programs who are guests on the pod. And so you, you, it feels like from where I'm sitting, so many MBAs are coming into this, into ETA, which I guess you know, ETA is not a huge space and they, they probably are overrepresented. But if you look at it from the other side, as you just articulated, being in, in one of the business schools, in one of these programs, it's not like, you know, going into investment banking or consulting, everybody's going into ETA. If you're in the business school, it's still, I guess, a tiny sliver of your graduating class that chooses to do this. So from an MBA's perspective, you're still doing something quite unusual, quite adventurous, quite off the beaten path. Do, it, it, fair? Very fair, Will. Yeah. yeah so, that's so interesting. Value of perspective. August Felker is a two-time successful searcher. First with a traditional search fund. The second time around, he did a self-funded search. Today, August runs Oberly Risk Strategies, an insurance firm with a dedicated practice group for searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs like you. If you've got a business under LOI, Oberly will provide complimentary due diligence on that business's insurance and benefits program. A great no-risk way to get to know August and team. They love helping searchers. They've worked with hundreds. Oberly is a specialty insurance brokerage for searchers by a former searcher. Check out oberly-risk.com, O-B-E-R-L-E hyphen risk.com, link in the show notes. Okay. And I also want to circle back on two books. You mentioned four, Buy Then Build, Harvard um, Business Review uh, Guide to Buying a Small Business, which I'm looking at here on my desk. Uh, but you mentioned two others, The Outsiders, um, where... Uh, so, so just uh, uh, indulge me. I'm going to tell people what that book is in case they don't know. And then you can tell us about the fourth book. The um, So The Outsiders is by William Will Thorndike, mm -hmm. who is kind of 
I don't I don't want to butcher this, but in and around the search space himself, um, I think he's an investor in search deals. Mm -hmm. And The Outsiders is a book of five or maybe six seven, case I studies. Believe, yeah, seven, seven case studies of uh, you know unconventional CEOs who you know killed it. Um, you know, right, and, right. Um, I'll let you kind of you know go through the uh, the summary of that because I, I don't want to butcher it because I've only I think read it once, but. Um, it's been a while. Yeah, well, I, and I, 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 I listened to it. Um, so, 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 so I'm no expert on the book, but yeah, seven case studies of these CEOs who showed incredible return. I think, it, kind of judging by returns that they generated mm -hmm. for their investors. Uh, and one example is is a John Mahone Maloney, the guy mm -hmm. who did who who was uh, Comcast or Cox, the early cable television pioneer. And a, a lot of his story is about acquisition, and he's actually the guy who came up with the the, the framework of EBITDA. He's credited as kind of the inventor of that term. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, the, these it's a, it's a case study of these seven um, kind of historically overlooked CEOs who just generated incredible returns over long periods of time. It's pretty dense, and it's it's really it's truly they're truly like case studies. So this mm -hmm. isn't necessarily like you know, uh, a, a nail biter. It's more of like a methodical look at how they did what they did. Um, and, and then the other book, the other book, Daryl, is Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? It's it's a book that's been mentioned here and here and there on this podcast. But um, but but uh, tell us what that book is all about. Yeah, no, it's a, a book about uh, uh, Reginald Lewis, um, who was uh, uh, an acquisition entrepreneur who uh, oh, was formerly a lawyer, you know, uh, doing a lot of stuff on the deal side and kind of just got in the game and uh um story is very inspiring um you know i i would really encourage uh listeners here to just uh pick that up on uh you know audio or you know hard copy however you consume your books but um to me it was really great um just kind of see someone like me you know do it totally um you know so um i know you've had others on the podcast like bruce van and things like that so i, I really love those um people who I would say are, you know, predecessors to me in this game, mm. um, you know, who, you know, are doing it and, you know, are doing it well and, you know, kind of giving back to others too. So totally. Awesome, man. Yeah. So this, so why should white guys have all the fun? Also to, to note, um, Reggie Lewis was active in the eighties. So this is mm. a, this is a, an older story, um, but he mm. was wildly successful. And at a time when, you know, he was, the black community was much less represented than than even today, and um, yeah, he just absolutely crushed it. And that book has been an inspiration for many black and otherwise. So this isn't just a book for you know you know ambitious African American people to to read. It's a it's a book for all of us. It's really quite an inspiring story. Um, so yeah, great. Thank you for that, Daryl. So pick us up. You're you're at Sloan, and when does your search begin in earnest? Yeah, no. So I think um, at a certain point, I, I, if I remember it correctly, um, I know my wife and I were like doing like this five day hike in Brazil and like, you know, talking about like goals, like, you know, into um, the new year of uh, 2022. And, you know, I still had a year and a half of business school left. And, um, you know, I was like, I just need to, you know, do this now. I just need to do the search. And like my wife's talking about her goals, too. And I'm just like, hey, 2022. Like I'm starting to search actively. No more of this, you know, just you know, networking and trying to like, you know, build up the context and you know, figure it out. Like I'm doing, you know, self-funded search, you know. So, 
got back from Brazil and, you know, actively started searching, you know, so um, was still in school, had three semesters left, as I mentioned, but was really organizing my day to where, you know, I, you know, was reviewing a certain amount of deals a day, you know, trying to do site visits, you know, plan my schedule around it um, and just kind of be consistent. Um, got my first deal under LOI um, that May. And it's uh, it's so funny how uh, things kind of come full circle. Um, the first company that I had all under LOI, it didn't actually pan out as far as an opportunity, um, is actually a current customer of mine um, oh. or, uh, or a current uh, uh, client. Um, so we're doing some work for them, which is just like so funny. So I, I actually like two weeks ago, sent a picture to um, the two former owners who uh, have since then sold you know, kind of just joking around saying, you know, hey, it's it's come full circle, you know, um, <laughs> you know, uh, but um, so, yeah, so I was actively looking um, um, for Daryl, let me hop in. Why mm -hmm. did you choose self-funded versus some of the other options, namely traditional search fund? Um, so I guess this is a key point. So uh, was stationed in Newport, Rhode Island, uh, last duty station. And um, I know you spent some time at Brown. Um, mm -hmm. My wife did not want to leave Newport. So uh, we've mm -hmm. been here since uh, 2018. And I just knew that, you know, Rhode Island was going to be home. So um, to me, you know, I knew I had a very um, small uh, geographic radius, you know, really wanted to find something that was, you know, 10 minutes away from where I live. But I, I landed on something that was 30 minutes away, which I'm, I'm super happy about. Um, but I just knew the geographic um, like lack of flexibility that I had was one of those things that led me there. And then, you know, also too, with everything from, um, you know, wanting to be, you know, the majority owner of the business that I was buying for, you know, purposes of just like, you know, control and, you know, being able to certify my business, whether it's, you know, veteran owned or minority owned, all those different things. It kind of led me to the path that um, doing self-funded was like the only way I could go. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And, for people who don't know, Newport, Rhode Island is a lovely uh, New England town. They're one of its big tourist attractions, other than, I guess, the, the boating and just the loveliness is, uh, I can't remember the name, but there's um, there are these, uh, the robber baron mansions from mm -hmm. from the, um, what's the name of that era? The, the, whatever, that kind of, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm forgetting. <laughs> the, the Newport um, mansions are amazing. I don't know. The Newport um, mansions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I guess uh, there might be other names for it. Um, you know, every time we have visitors who come, my, my wife does that activity with them. I, I kind of sit at home and do a lot of work and do other things. So uh, mansions are great. Um, you know, we love like the, you know, the, the food scene here and just like, mm. you know, there's always things going on here in Newport. So we, we like the walkability that we have. Um, and, but is it close enough to pro the metropolitan Providence, Rhode Island? Rhode Island's, of course, biggest city. It's about 40 minutes away. Um, so, so could your search extend to Providence or no? It, you know, it, it, it was technically, it was. Um, so, you know, as you, as I told you during the pre-call, I, I bought in uh, Warwick, Rhode Island. So about 30 minutes away. So like, I'm actually walking distance from the airport, which is like pretty cool. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, walking, I, walking to the airport. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've done it. I've done a walk to my flight. Um, and oh, really? <laughs> so, I've, um, so yeah, so great, great geographic location. Um, I, I love where um, the business that I bought is at. Cool, and so. and Warwick is considered kind of Greater Providence. That that does yep, qualify exactly. as the Pro Providence metropolitan area. Just it, tell us more about um, the search and and kind of how it how it unfolded. Yeah, so you know, I I think that um, you know I was going through this and actively 
learning and doing. So, yeah, I kind of had these guides out that, you know, I was reading and talking to people and messaging on search funder and trying to ask questions. And, you know, I connected with a couple of people at that point who, you know, I saw as mentors who, you know, I was kind of um, asking questions as I had them. But, you know, to me, it was just kind of like, let me learn by doing. So let me try to find a deal, you know, um, you know, the next goal of this process is to try to get an LOI and then, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, the first, uh, deal that I found was for a, a ship maintenance company. And, you know, I really liked that aspect because like, I understood the, uh, opportunity just based on my time in the Navy. Um, so they were doing uh, ship maintenance. They had a fabrication division that they were making all types of, uh, niche things for ships. And then they also had a, a generator division. They were, uh, um, selling and leasing um, generators and, you know, got to LOI on that deal. And, um, you know, I think with just how much time I had left in school and this being like a year out um, from when I was actually graduating, I kind of had a little bit of cold feet, you know, it was just, there were certain things where um, um, even though the company was um, about 20 minutes away from where I lived, a lot of the work they were doing was, you know, at shipyards, whether it was up in Boston. So it was really not the best geographic fit for me, um, just based on like how diverse the, the white or spread out the work was, excuse me. And, um, it was just like the first thing, you know, I was, you know, um, a little bit, uh, like, man, wow. Like, you know, I said, I wanted to do this thing, you know, in January and here it is, it's May. And I, have a deal already, you know, like this is like too soon with everything going on. So, um, you know, I think after talking to the sellers, um, and you know, they had a, some apprehensions too, um, just with the way I wanted to structure a deal that it just made sense that, you know, we kind of went our own ways and there was no bad blood there. Um, they actually found a strategic in this space to, um, end up acquiring them. But, uh, you know, that, showed me so much, you know, whether it was just like dealing with the brokers, you know, you know, you know, drafting, you know, an LOI, you know, being able to put together like initial like structure, like, you know, talking to like the banks and, you know, trying to figure out like financing where I felt like the learnings from that first one, um, it's like, it gave me a lot of confidence to say like, Hey, okay, cool. You know, um, when the next one comes, you know, I'm ready, but I'm more focused too, because I know yeah. what things I, I want to see and what I don't. Well, that, that's a great kind of silver lining uh, positioning of a, of a deal that doesn't come to fruition mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, that you can, you, you just learn a lot going through the process, even if you don't get it across the finish line. Not to say that all the, you know, brokenhearted searchers out there who have spent tens of thousands of dollars on a deal that died. Uh, I know that that's uh cold comfort. Um, but there is, but there is some value at least like, like you, like you experienced to going through the deal process, uh, cause you, you learn a ton at every turn. So, yeah. And I think, well, to a point to that too, I think for me at that point, I had no deal costs, you know, I, um, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was so early on, um, that like I didn't engage like any lawyers or QOV, like a lot of the stuff that I was doing was just within my network. Um, but yeah. I felt like there was like a big, um, time suck. So I, I wasn't like, you know, fully happy that this happened. You know, I think about like my, one of my semesters at school, like I was like, oh man, like I wanted to search. I started searching, but then I missed out on all like the fun, you know, uh, social aspects of school that, you know, um, it's a big part of, you know, the graduate school experience. So to me, it was really 
it wasn't, you know, um, as fun, you know, when I was going through it, but now I look back yeah. and I'm like, man, that was, it definitely was, um, uh, a good experience and, uh, uh, glad that I had that, that first one underneath my belt. Yeah. So you, you were investing quite a bit of time, even if, Absolutely. if you weren't putting any, um, money into it yet. Yeah. Okay. So c carry on. So, yeah. So, um, at that point, you know, um, the deal, you know, kind of falls apart and go my sep go my separate ways with the sellers. And then it was like, okay, summer's coming. Um, and, um, you know, I was hoping to really close on a deal at some point, like during the summertime. So I could just like ease myself into the business and figure out how I was going to finish school. Um, so I kept looking for opportunities. Um, and, uh, I think the deal probably broke up maybe in May or so. And, you know, I found the current, um, company that I acquired, um, in June, actually found it in June. So, um, it's funny because it was, I found it on biz by sell. Um, and it was listed as like a niche manufacturer. And, um, from my time spent with that first business that I mentioned, them just having that like fabrication, um, division for the business, I was like, man, this is really what I'm like looking for. Like something that, you know, if worse comes to worse, you know, I could always pivot like what I make, whether it's some sort of like DOD application for it. Um, you know, we could always, you know, switch it up. Um, and I, um, you know, request, um, the SIM after, you know, filling out all the NDA paperwork and, um, didn't get a SIM. I got like a, an email, uh, from a broker, which there was so much stuff that was like misspelled in this email. I was just like, this is not a real opportunity. <laughs> Cause I, I mm -hmm. think that, um, so far in my search, like it was very, uh, somewhat just like systematic as far as what I was getting. So this was like the first opportunity that it didn't look like what I had saw. And I was like, ah, should I really go? But after requesting it, you know, the broker gave me a call and we started talking and he gave me some more color and I was like, okay, maybe this is like a really serious opportunity. Let me go and actually like look and explore the business. So I get there and it's a, it's a sign and on a manufacturer and I go in and it's funny because, um, we go, I go after hours, um, probably around like five o'clock, all the employees are not there. And I see all of the projects that are currently in production that are in this shop. And I'm like, wow, this is everything that I've seen, like in the community, like things out in Newport, things in Providence, you know, like I've seen these like businesses and I'm like, man, this is amazing. You know, just like signage, like it's, um, you know, and awnings and things like that. So yeah, I really fell in love, I think with like the opportunity once I actually toured the business. So like one, like big, I guess, like lesson or takeaway that I, I think I had from that experience was just like, man, like if I had just like you know, kind of threw the opportunity aside just because it wasn't packaged up in this like nice sim, you know, with, yeah. uh, you know, and the, you know, all these, you know, bullet pointed things that I might have missed this opportunity. Um, so it's, um, it's a great takeaway. I, I was just um, looking at biz by sell as one does this week and, and came across a teaser that had misspellings in the title uh, <laughs> and not to mention in, in like the actual paragraph describing the business. And I, you know, I had, I, I, of course my reflex was like, no next, but, um, 
but then I was, then I kind of had, you know, then my logic kicked in and I, I remembered the point that you're making now, which is like, maybe there's opportunity here. And precisely because other people are overlooking it for the same reason I was about to overlook it, maybe there's even more opportunity mm -hmm. here sort of thing. Um, I'm, I'm just very casually browsing. Um, I wasn't serious about <laughs> it, but, but there's actually, um, a parallel in real estate, which you hear people say, which is in a really competitive market, if a listing has bad photos, you know, many home buyers just won't even take a second look. And so, but it may just be that the, that the listing agent wasn't very good. Didn't, didn't, you know, invest in professional photos and that there could be a real find there. Um, yeah. so, so totally. No, no, ab absolutely. So um, we we go and um, you know I'm kind of looking at this business and um, you know I'm seeing all the different you know ways it touches like just like the the community and I'm like man this is super impressive um, and um, like I was excited like, I I felt like there was like a um, there was a um, an opportunity there that I like. It just clicked. It was like a different feeling than from when I saw like the first opportunity or other opportunities. Um, it was just a different feeling. So I, I got the sense that I was like, this is something that I can actually jump in and do. And I, I don't know. It's like a, a weird feeling that I guess you can't really describe. But it, I was like more confident at that point to like actually move forward with the acquisition than I was with other things, even though <laughs> I had um you know questions around the, like the financials and like the presentation and everything that we'll we'll get into um in a second i assume um but yeah it was one of those things where i was like hey you know I, maybe i saw it on like a, a tuesday and i was like hey do you mind if my wife comes by you know tomorrow or, or thursday and she does like a tour too so she kind of understands and sees the opportunity and then um you know the next step really was trying to get to some sort of uh, deal with the seller and in was it the fact that you saw these awnings and signs under production? You saw that they were the names of local businesses and you saw that it was kind of by, you know, by the nature of what it does, it's, it was, it's really kind of enmeshed in the local business community. Or, or was it more that you just kind of thought you saw it and you were like, this seems kind of fun to be in here or like, I can do this. Like it, it, it seemed more accessible than like a shipbuilding maintenance business where there's a lot more specialized knowledge, presumably. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's a combination of everything you listed. Like, well, I, I saw myself like actually being the owner of the business for like the multitude of reasons you just listed. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's powerful like when you can like visualize something really. I mean, it's yeah. Um, so I think I was able to just like visualize it more for all of those reasons. Okay. So you're you're excited about it. Uh, you want to show your you show it to your wife. Uh, so then I assume the deal starts. You start moving forward with the deal. Yeah, start moving forward with the deal. It was, it was funny because um, so my uh, my wife maybe a day or two later she got like the same tour that you know um, I did of the business was able to see a lot of the you know same things that I saw, um, you know, maybe at a later stage of production you know that I mentioned to her like you know a day or two prior um and just you know understanding oh man like i i know this business i know that business and like oh man this is this is really cool and we got to the point where um you know she got the same tour as i as i and then um we met again the seller broker and i and kind of talked about like initial like you know deal like high level um i had put together something based on um the numbers that were presented to me and, you know, kind of like just 
how I felt, you know, signing like a three X multiple to discretionary earnings. Um, and, um, was like, Hey, you know, we'd love to buy the real estate too in the deal. And, you know, we can talk about that piece and, um, tried to get to, uh, uh, a deal with the seller. And it was really, that was, that was a little bit more intimidating to me. Um, just because, um, this opportunity, um, what it was listed at on biz buy sell was a lot higher. And I feel like if anything, what the broker presented, like made it seem like it was worth a lot less. But then when I got and saw the business, I was like, okay, well, there's some like sort of middle ground here between what it was presented as on biz buy uh, or, or what the, the seller wanted for it versus what the broker presented it as. And like me actually, you know, kind of seeing it, um, you know, in the flesh. So, um, yeah. Can you give us some some stats of the business yeah, yeah, in I terms can, of numbers so, and headcount? Yeah. So um, the 2021 discretionary earnings were right around 645,000. Um, so um, felt comfortable going in at a, a 3x multiple for that. Um, the seller had an appraisal on the real estate done. Um, and uh, one piece of that was going for uh, 1.6. So uh, felt comfortable. Um, with with that and you know kind of was like hey if the you know the real estate doesn't appraise for that value then you know obviously we would you know have to figure out how to make that work but um it did appraise for that um plus uh, more so felt felt good about that it was just that when i get to the point where i'm you know uh, uh making uh the offer um it was uh well, hey, there's this other component of the business, you know, that uh, uh, you should know about. Uh, <laughs> all, all of our customers don't pay by uh, uh, ACH and uh, a credit card or wire. I'm like, what do you what do you mean? And I guess the listeners here can kind of read through the lines because I think this is something that is probably pretty common um, with small businesses, especially ones that have been around for a while. Um, that um, you know, there's some cash. Um, so it was very, uh, you know, difficult for me, kind of this, like, you know, the former Navy supply crew officer who, like, you know, got audited and, like, you know, like more by the book to, like, you know, kind of be presented with this information that, like, and hey, we're a little bit better than we're actually kind of presenting because of this. And it, it was funny because, like, um, I don't know how scripted this was, but, like, the owner, like, kind of pulls out, like, a lot of cash, you know, and, uh, you know, kind of showing me that, like, hey, yeah, you know, so. <laughs> I can't. If, when you become owner, you will be carrying around giant rolls of <laughs> hundreds. Um, so, so it's a very cashy business. So, yeah, so if a uh, cash-heavy business is – yeah, there's kind of there's kind of a lot of, of flags around that. It it's um, typically. Well, it, well if it's I'll a, correct you real ahead. quick. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know if that's necessarily a cash heavy business. I I just our customer base is very diverse, and some people prefer to pay with cash. But when you but there's a lot of actual cold hard currency flowing mm -hmm. in and out of the business more than it, more than you might be used to, mm -hmm. and so there are a few concerns there. First is that that gives a small business owner the opportunity to underreport their income. So, you know, they're making an extra hundred or $200,000 and mm 
in revenue that they don't report because it's not tracked anywhere because it's in cash. Mm-hmm. And so you have to consider, figure out how to weigh that. Um, and then you, you have to just, yeah, you have to, have, to, have to wonder if that has been a temptation of the sellers and if the seller therefore has other temptations. Like, And then also if there's a difference in valuation, because if there's enough cash going through and they've really underreported that cash and they're telling you, oh, no, actually we do. I'm just being arbitrary here. A million dollars in revenue, not 800 that we report to the IRS. What are you, buyers, supposed to do with that information? Are you supposed to give them credit for a million or credit for what their tax, you know, what their tax return says, eight hundred thousand. So it's it's very it's it's a complicating factor, um, and it's just yeah, it's just not very buttoned up. Like you said, you're used to a very kind of audited, buttoned up process from the Navy. So these these I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of taking your point and running with it. But does, does that feel right? Like about how you were reacting? Yeah, no, abs- absolutely, it felt right. And I guess my bigger concern was like, well. How do I, you know, convey this point in a very sensitive way to like, you know, the, you know, bank that I was looking to, you know, get an SBA loan with, you know, and, yeah. you know, um, that, that was like, that was the biggest concern when I'm like presenting this offer and I'm just like, Hey, well, we, you know, what will, what will they see? Cause I had never gone through, you know, the SBA, like, you know, due diligence before and, um, um, was, was worried about that. And Daryl, does a seller who has a a significant percentage of their revenue coming in as cash, do they want to get credit for that? Meaning when when they go to, you know, when you go to do evaluation and in kind of an offer price, are they insisting that, you know, the extra hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in cash that comes in every year um, that 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 you account for that in your in your offer? I think the owner was kind of giving this information to me like like hey you know this is a good business you know because of this also um Mm. and um like you know it's it's not going to really be reflected you know okay but like you should feel even more confident slash you know move forward with this opportunity because of this um, okay. <laughs> do I, al- I also think that there was some sort of, well, like, Hey, can we, you know, move this offer because, of you know, the outside, uh, uh, cash. And, um, you know, to me, I was just like, Hey, I don't really know. I mean, like, yeah, in a day, like we're going to be going off of like tax returns and like, you know, what you kind of have, and this is what the bank is going to be using to, you know, underwrite, you know, the business. And, um, you know, you, you kind of already, you know, got credit for this also too, you know, already, you know, so like you can't, you're getting, trying to get credit on it, you know, on the, the back end as well uh, too, yeah. when you, when you sell it's a little bit hard. So, um, you know, I, I think I kind of had to continue to reiterate that. And it was one of those things where, um, Later on, I'll talk about like the the kind of the formal, I guess, deal structure. But there was a significant amount of the deal that the seller had to take in a note, and like to me, you know, it's just like, well, that's because of you know your your earlier dealings. You know, you you might have been able to avoid that if you you didn't do that mm-hmm. <laughs> the way mm-hmm. you did. Okay, well, well, maybe now is a time. Well, before we get into the deal terms. Daryl, can you tell us how a little bit more about the business? How many people 
and the it's it's history. It's an old business. Yeah, yeah, old business. Um, uh, the uh, founder Al Andrews, nineteen forty six. Uh, the the owner that I bought it from actually bought it out of probate court. From um, bought it out of the probate court, but uh, currently when I bought the business, we were about like at twenty five employees or so, so a decent amount um, of employees. The split between signage and awnings? Yeah, about seventy thirty. So seventy percent signage, thirty uh, percent awnings. And the awning is that all commercial business, or is there some residential for the awnings? Some residential retractable awning, so it's a very small piece. I think it's a great opportunity for us to to do more. So um, one of the things that I'm I'm looking um, at, but a very small piece of that are residential awnings. Mm -hmm. So it's mostly a uh, a B two B business. Yep. And how did you get comfortable with the non recurring nature of of buying a sign? If I'm a business, I only need to buy a sign or an awning once every however many years. Well, it's it's so crazy. I, I mean, I think that, you know, initially I was like recurring revenue. But, you know, to me, I was like the project-based stuff, like it's all over. And it's like, you know, to me, um, whether this is, you know, schools or universities, hospitals, um, like our our client base is so wide or who we, we touch. So I was like, everyone needs a sign. Where are you at? And when you when I looked at like the, the landscape of just like Rhode Island, like, it was one of the only places to really go. So it was, it was, um, you know, really cool just based on, um, the nature of the work. Um, we can do everything from, um, the design to installation. So like we're full service. So, um, a lot of other places aren't so, um, definitely advantage we have, but, uh, I got comfortable with it. Will because it was, all over, it was needed, and I, I just saw the opportunity. So I was like, "There's always going to be um, work um, for this business." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and and it's the longevity of the business, also, mm -hmm. of course, is a testament to its its uh, enduring profitability. The you had said that there's other, there's kind of nowhere else to go in Rhode Island, meaning it's a leader in the market in Rhode Island. Is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah. No, I would I would say um, there's been some consolidation in the industry, uh, some closures. I mean, um, this is really a trade. So there are a couple like, you know, maybe smaller shops, you know, a couple individuals that, you know, owner ready to retire or employees were older, shut down. Or there was, a, there was actually um, an acquisition of one of our largest competitors maybe like four or five years ago by an out-of-state player. So... Um, there, I, I guess my, my point is, is that, um, it's an industry that is needed, um, but mm -hmm. there's not a lot of options in the industry. So I, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I felt yeah. pretty comfortable because of that too. Yeah. Well, that, that sure is a, um, uh, nice, defensible, powerful place to sit. Mm-hmm. The so let, let's hear about the deal. I, I definitely we we still got a ways to go in your story, Daryl, and I'm, so I'm mindful of time. But I want to hear how operating has gone, and of course, I want to get to your other projects as well. So let's get into the the terms of the deal, and we'll keep rocking here. Yeah, yeah, no. So um, uh, the deal structure changed up a lot. You know, I um, at one point um, I mentioned there was real estate involved, and there's actually another piece of uh, property that was part of the deal that I had to do a conventional loan with. So had two deals going on simultaneously: an SBA 7A loan and then like a conventional a loan. But uh, 
ended up um, getting to the point where, um, you know, my my equity injection for the deal um, ended up being about like 400 and some K. Um, and then the seller took a, a note um, for 530K and then um, the rest of it um, was uh, debt. And so I'm including like, you know, the working capital that I, um, or I guess post deal, you know, we got working capital obviously, but, um, it was, it was a struggle because initially the way I was structuring the deal, um, the seller was going to have like part of, um, his note on full standby and he was 78 years old. So he was just like, I'm not going <laughs> to do this if, you know, it's going to take me, you know, 18 years or whatever it is to, you know, get fully paid out. So that was, that was one thing that we had to work our way through. Um, um, but yeah, we, we did. And, um, you know, his note is, uh, over a five year as a five year note and, um, over five year period. And, uh, it's only, it's on standby for two years. So, um, that's mm -hmm. how we ended up dealing with it. So mm -hmm. great. And so your offer was about 3x on 645k. So that's mm -hmm. 1.3, approaching $2 million for the, mm -hmm. just for the business, mm -hmm. uh, right around 2 million. And then 1.6 for one piece of real estate. And then there actually was another piece of real estate. Yep. And you, and you dealt with those two transactions, you said two transactions going on at once. So one was straight real estate purchase, the other, the business. And what you just shared with us was all about the business. It's exactly. 500,000 seller note. Okay. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the real estate, is that something where there's a, like less negotiation? That was kind of just a more straightforward transaction. Is there anything to sh say there or share with the audience? Yeah. Um, on the other piece of real estate, uh, no, it was just a kind of conventional um, loan. I mean, um, that to me um, was a little bit more straightforward, um, but it was yeah. my first time like, you know, doing that as well too. So uh, it was a learning process, but lot less complicated than the actual business acquisition. Daryl, now this is something I should know and don't really, I'm not that familiar with, but um, aren't there ways of doing 7A loans where it's a single loan, but it's blended between the business acquisition and the real estate, but it's a, but it's a single loan or Absolutely. And just, just to clear it up, because I don't, I don't think it was very clear. So um, the two pieces of real estate, one was operated by a tenant on a triple net lease. So I wasn't able to do a 7A loan because of like the space occupancy and um, like not, it was a separate, you know, parcel land, but it was one of those things where the seller wanted to, you know, kind of completely, you know, uh, tie up his or clean up his estate. Um, yeah. So he was like, hey, you, know, you either buy the business or you buy um, everything, um, but I'm not going to just sell you one piece of real estate and then have this other piece of real estate. Um, so um, I was gotcha. I was okay with that and yeah, had to figure out how to get a deal done. Um, but yeah, um, wasn't able to use a 7A um, for that other piece of real estate. So, so when real estate can be under the umbrella of a 7A loan, is when that real estate is part of the business. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Exactly. I, I need to uh, be educating myself on on how that all that works. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anything more to say about the uh, kind of the colorful nature of of uh, this transaction um, and and the 
yeah, and the acquisition itself, or should we yeah. move on to operating? Go ahead. No, no, I think um, um, nothing else other than this deal takes such a long time because of the constant uh, yeah. nature of it changing. Um, you know, initially, you know, um, the seller and I, um, well, I was on the assumption that, hey, I could just buy like the real estate and the business. And I think part of this was kind of like maybe the seller playing some games or having some sellers remorse, like, you know, getting into like a deal and just like, kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm still like, what else am I going to do with my life? You know, you know, 78, mm-hmm. like, should I really be selling? And, um, you know, I think he was kind of having cold feet by the same time too. Like I wasn't necessarily in a super big rush to close because I wanted to kind of tie this time this up for like, after I was like gra- graduated. So I knew I was graduating mm-hmm. in like May. So we were both kind of in this, like, Hey, like we want to make a deal happen, but you know, the, the structure was constantly changing and there wasn't necessarily like a big push from either of our ends in a sense. Um, like looking back. Well, Lucky, lucky you, Daryl, because uh, does, isn't it uh, that time is supposed to kill all deals? And yet, yeah, in, yeah, in this yeah. case, in yeah, this case, both parties were happy to let it drag on for their own reasons, and mm-hmm. it still worked. Yeah, <laughs> great. Um, and in circling back a little bit, uh, or a lot, a bit to your to your MBA, and you had mentioned your wife and your father-in-law being um, CPAs, both, I think. Yep, yep. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you had said on the pre-call that that in terms of your the knowledge that you felt you needed or lacked uh, with respect to buying a business was specifically on finance stuff. And you had, but you had your wife and father-in-law in your personal network to help you uh, with those gaps. Um, so maybe fill in the gaps there. Were you leaning on them heavily? How much I, finan- financial acumen do you feel like you, you one needs to do a deal? Well, yeah, I think, I think, you know, even before understanding the finances, I mean, I think you have to understand how the business works, right? The financials is really just telling the story of how like the business works. And I think that for me, um, one of the things that I should have done a better job with and I didn't do is I never went and actually saw operations during like operating hours for the business. You know, I would, mm-hmm. you know, go in after hours and, you know, spend time with the seller or maybe spend time like doing surveys in the weekend, like kind of understanding how he was looking to like uh, measure projects or like quote projects. Um, but just understanding like how um, the business was like working was one thing that I, I didn't necessarily do. So even to like my wife and father-in-law in a sense, you know, I would tell them things, but not necessarily having like a full understanding of the business, you know, what I'm telling them, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, fully looking because they don't necessarily, they're, they're in a sense removed in a sense too. So um, there were some things that I missed in due diligence. Like one of the things that, um, you know, um, I mentioned to you uh, during a pre-call was that the seller, um, you know, kind of made it a practice to like early invoice projects. So um, in a sense, you know, we have this like big awning or assign job done, you know, let's say the project maybe had a week or two to complete, you know, I'm just using like a random time frame. He would invoice it in the hope that he would be able to like collect payment for the project simultaneously on delivering the project. Now we know that for whatever reason, you know, there might be a, a case where 
you know, work doesn't go as fast as you think it would, or, you know, maybe you're not able to install the project because of X, Y, and Z, or, you know, whatever act of God happens. And there were a lot of things that were early invoiced, um, whether it was intentional or malicious, you know, it's the fact of the matter is it was just early invoiced. Um, so those were things that maybe like, you know, inflated the financials. Um, and those were things too, like at close, because I bought the business, you know, balance sheet clean where um, the seller kept receivables, where there were projects that were, you know, early invoiced that he's trying to collect payment on. I'm like, well, hey, it's still in the shop here. Like, I'm still doing work on it. I haven't installed it. Like, hell no, you're not like collecting payment on that. That's like mine, you know? So mm -hmm. um, it's stuff like that where I feel that my father in law and my wife were able to, you know, look at the numbers and kind of tell me what questions to ask. But like, mm. as far as understanding, like the practice of the business, they missed that, you know, mm -hmm. and like I missed it too. And I think really, if it would have been someone who would have been able to like, you know, marry all of it um, together, um, it would have been better for me to just like know and just have a better grasp on. So a big fan of people doing QOVs and kind of getting, you know, people who are, knowledgeable of the space to get in there because like, you know, they might my wife and my father-in-law are they're, they're auditing like larger you know uh you know fortune 500 companies they're not necessarily doing small business you know on uh in warwick and you feel like a q of e a formal third-party q of e would have caught this or or was it you go showing up during actual working hours would have caught this or you would have uh, needed it's both. A com it's a combination, right? I think okay. it's, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of, of it. And I, I think for the end of the day, you know, it's obviously some sort, you know, even bringing in a third party provider, they're somewhat removed in a sense too. So I, I think it was really on me to have a better understanding of, you know, what the business was. So I could have asked the questions just to, or, you know, you know, told someone like, hey, look into this for me. Great call out, Daryl. All right, let's move into operations here. Talk to us about how the transition went. Just give us kind of, oh, give us that story. Yeah. <laughs> so transition, I think, uh, um, you know, day one, um, we closed on a Friday. Um, you know, sellers like, hey, you could come in today, but like, actually, let's do this on a Monday. No one at this point had known that I had actually bought the company. So it was kind of like a secret. So, um, you know, I was like, okay, cool. Wait, what time do I show up? He's like, let's do it at 745. Um, I'll gather all the employees around and you can make your introduction as the new owner of the business. So I uh, prepared, you know, a speech to the team, which I thought went pretty well as far as like who I was, so, you know, why I was buying the company, like what I wanted to do, um, you know, who um, you know, values, things like that, that I had. Um, and um it went pretty well i felt like i i had people you know come up to me and like say congratulations like you know i really felt something when you were you know speaking like you know i'm pretty excited about this and then i would say the transition after day uh one was definitely not what i expected um you know things like um the business was owned in a trust by the seller and his wife and you know, I found out that you know the seller was no longer with his wife, and that the person who was actually doing all the bookkeeping and accounting uh, 
he may or may not have been in a relationship with this person. So there were certain things like that where I was like, oh, shoot, now what did I get into? Um, always, it's always the bookkeeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always. I know. It's not like, you know, it couldn't. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was always. So it, it's, um, but it was, it was funny to me because what I would do things like we have a third party that we uh, use for um, like tech services. And they were like, Ooh. you know, we get, we went over, you know, get on like the network and, um, you know, get email, all that stuff set up on my computer. They're like, well, if you ever terminate someone, you gotta let me know beforehand. And he said it like four or five times. Like, who do you think I'm going to terminate? I just like, you know, <laughs> so it, it was funny because, um, um, you know, I ended up having to move, you know, uh, forward without you know that that bookkeeper um and your msp your it person predicted that that's what they, that's what they were saying between the lines okay. yeah, exactly exactly so um but you know the the relationship i think got pretty you know contentious with the seller and i you know after a week or so by um Oof. Uh, or not even a week or so maybe a couple of days into it oh, um just terrible. because of um some of the things you know that you know, I saw it was happening as far as um, the accounts receivables. And I'm like, hey, you early invoice all this stuff. Like, like, why? You know, and it's still here. And then, you know, the fact that there was one point in our agreement that I thought we were pretty clear on where um, it was customer deposits. Uh, the way our industry works is, uh, you know, customer will put down a 50% deposit before any work is commenced on the job. And for whatever reason, whether it's waiting for permits um, or, you know, just, you know, work to commence. Maybe we're working with a general contractor and like there's somewhere, you know, in this uh, workflow pipeline that we can't necessarily start what we're going to do because we're waiting for them to get to a certain point. There were a lot of projects that the seller had collected deposits for and was not willing to turn over and you know just this being a project-based industry and i knew we kind of had a moving target as far as you know where when we were closing you know i was like hey well there might be a customer deposit that you collected but let's say that work is 90 percent completed you know obviously you use that customer deposit to buy materials you know you know pay you know um you know staff to do work kind of makes sense for you to keep that deposit, you know? But on the other hand, there was like this category and it was so large, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars that no work had commenced. And I'm I'm just like, this guy has no intention for actually giving me the customer deposit. I was like, this is, this is crazy. So I'm still actually working out all that stuff um, with the seller right now. It's been pretty painful. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I have the seller's note that I mentioned too. So I guess the worst case scenario, you know, can, um, offset there, but, um, it's just one of those things where, um, I, um, you know, I, I think that if I was actually spending time in the business beforehand, you know, maybe would have been able to, you know, catch that as being an yeah. issue, um, yeah. you know, versus, you know, kind of only spending time in the afternoon or, um, you know, the weekends with the seller. Well, it raises the question, Daryl, if, if like, there's a best practice here because so many small businesses are project-based despite the fact that we all want recurring revenue. The reality is that many, many, many small businesses are, are project-based and they all must experience this. You buy, you as the business buyer, the, you know, there's 
50 streams of work going on, 50 projects going on when you inherit the business, all at, at various percentages of completion and like how to account for that. Um, so, so I wonder if there, yeah, I, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. I wonder if there's a best practice here, or is it just as simple as kind of catching it initially and going through project by project by project and getting agreement on how, what percent completion it is and how much of that money, you know, is, you know, and then kind of splitting, splitting the money. Yeah. Yeah. No, commensurately. Agreed. Well, I think every situation might be different. I mean, there's projects that we have that might be only, you know, a thousand dollars, but then we have projects in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So yeah. there's, a, there's a, definitely a big range here. Um, so, you know, I would, I would say, yeah, I mean, that's a useful activity. Um, but it's always kind of like a moving target depending on like where you're at with closing. So it's also like a very complicated, yeah. you know, activity yeah. too, um, because of the timing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Great point. So, what did you find in terms of the culture of the business? Oh man. So I think that was one of the, like the big things that I was actually able to like improve on. Um, and like right away, I mean, um, to me, um, the, the culture, it, it's funny cause I'm in the process of, uh, uh, doing a rebrand right now. And, um, you know, I'm trying to be able to get like a, a good grasp of like who we're, or we are right now, but, um, mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, like when I took over the business, there was a lot of um, what I would say just like chaos and finger pointing. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think the 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 culture for me um, was one that was, you know, very tense. It wasn't necessarily um, uh, any like process. Um, uh, it, it was... Uh, yeah, it, it it was just like not an environment that like I would ever want to work in for like a, a long period of time. And it was just like crazy that I had like a lot of employees who had been there for a lot, a long time. Yeah. And there's some people who, um, you know, this, the signage industry, you know, is uh, not that large who had left and went other places. Um, and, um, you know, one of my big things was like, hey, like, let's get, you know, good talent or people who uh, used to be here. Um, and for whatever reason, they maybe had like a disagreement, um, with the previous owner or were unhappy of things not necessarily changing. Like, let's figure out like how to get this like good talent, you know, back in. So been pretty successful on that front, um, um, of bringing some like, you know, key people, whether they're fabricators or people in our department, uh, back, um, in the business, um, and, uh, got a, a GM in place as well too, um, but it's yeah the the culture was not a very good one will um and and Daryl, what are you doing to so quickly so you, as you said you're 100 115 days in so coming up on 4 months what specifically have you done to make it a more attractive place to work and 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 uh recruit some some of your previous defectors yeah recruit yeah. some of your defectors well no i think one it's um it's been you know actions and i mean i know it sounds corny like my my day one speech was only like a minute or too long i mean i don't necessarily think that people like are really going to um you know uh listen to that i guess they'll see the actions but um what one thing i do like i i'll have like a lunch every month you know um for you know the entire team will bring the team together it's about like 29 people now 29 30 people and you know 
they never had that before. They never like the previous owner mm-hmm. never bought them lunch and they never were able to like, you know, collectively like talk about like, hey, where are we at with things as far as, you know, our goals and visions, you know, get some input, you know. So as small things like that, which I think have been just like super impactful. Um, but I mean I genuinely just feel like I care well. Um, you know, so like I, I had uh I don't know, small things. I mean, I you know, I had uh uh, one, uh, one guy who, uh, recently just, um, had surgery for, uh, pancreatic cancer. So I was able to grab dinner with him like, you know, two days ago and, um, he's still out right now, but I think it's like things like that where, yeah. um, like I generally showing you care. Yeah. It's just showing you care and just like, you know, being able to like listen and, um, you know, take feedback and just try to implement things that, you know, make sense. And, um, I think people appreciate that because I don't know if they were necessarily ever being listened to before. Well, Daryl, I'm struck because you seem pretty relaxed about this, but it, it it doesn't sound like the worst transition. I've I've heard absolute nightmares. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound like yours is like this at all. But that that, that it was that there was some ch- challenges, and you walked into a culture that wasn't super organized or hospitable. Um, but you seem pretty pretty uh, okay with how things are going. Am I reading you right? Yeah, I think you're reading me. I think I'm super optimistic. I'm, I mean, like the month of July, I, I had a, a my daughter, her first kid was born, like literally like 10 days after I closed the business. Wow. So I was like, this Two babies at once. Like, yeah, I know. This timing is like not the greatest, but yeah, no, I feel like I've, I've been punched in the face a couple of times during the acquisition, but you know, I'm super duper like energized by the team, the people, like where we're going. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think I'm counting the days because I'm like looking at my hundred day plan and like kind of saying like ah. how many things I haven't gotten done that I want to get done. But I'm just like I am super um, appreciative of like what we've been able to accomplish so far. Um, so that's great. Congratulations. Well, actually, and also something you've accomplished so far is hiring a GM. Uh, so tell us about that a little bit. Listeners are always really eager to understand how they can start working on rather than in the business. What does yeah. it look like in your case? Yeah, my case, you know, it fell into my lap. It's one of those things where, um, you know, I, I think, um, A, kind of just like being able to like listen and get input. And I felt like one of my big gaps with the acquisition, especially since, you know, I have this contentious relationship with the seller, was just like knowledge of the industry. Like I, you know, you know, at one point, you know, I, we were, uh, um, <laughs> I bought the business and like the, the owner, like maybe in the first like day or two is going over like an awning job with me and was talking about a balance. I'm like, Googling, I'm like, what the hell is a balance? You know? So like, it's one of those things where I'm like learning <laughs> about the industry. And, um, you know, I, I feel that, um, it was key for me to have someone who was able to provide, um, a little bit more of like the technical expertise and like kind of covered down in several facets of the business. Um, so it's funny because, um, it was happenstance. Um, it was, uh, dealing with suppliers, you know, who kind of come in and want to introduce themselves as they know the business was sold. And, um, one of the suppliers who came in to introduce himself ended up being someone who was just like, Hey, you know, if there's ever, uh, if you ever saw like, you know, um, you know, a need or, you know, have like a, you know, an operations guy or like a GM, like, you know, I would be pretty interested in that. And I kind of kept it in the back of my head um, and de- continue to develop a relationship, you know, with this, you know, supplier and just like kind of, you know, get to know like who he was and like, 
you know, understand like, you know, what he brought to the table and like get feedback from others on, you know, whether he would be a good addition to the team. And um, yeah, he's been on board for a little bit over a month now and it's um it's been absolutely great. Um at I'm at home right now. I'm gonna go in um after we're done with this interview, but it's uh definitely good to have uh some added flexibility. And I think too, um one thing I didn't mention, Will, was that my father actually retired uh from his job and he's been up here um, you know, helping me out in the business too. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, working with family, you know, there's uh you know there's there's definitely frustrations and i i think like sometimes i'm like oh man it's like my dad like actually like trying to help me or is he trying to like hurt me like what is he what's he trying to do but uh you know he genuinely has my my best interests in mind and um it's it's been good to have like good people around me trying to help accomplish the mission i love that man i love i love that your dad's helping you in the business of course uh there's going to be stepping on each other's toes or I, I should say he's just stepping on your toes because yeah. you're the protagonist here so there's no <laughs> yeah. stepping on his toes yeah but uh but no no that's that's just great um well great so and then hiring the so the hiring the gm kind of you weren't even expecting that and so have you felt a material difference in you, you just kind of being able to focus on strategic stuff much earlier than you thought absolutely i i feel a mm -hmm. big difference i feel that you know right now um since we're we're project based, you know, it's um, I mean, our processes are so important, you know, to be able to you know get jobs out in a timely ma manner, you know, um, because when I when I first you know um, you know bought the business, it, it it was crazy how much you know jobs were just like sitting in the shop or just like being held up for like different reasons, and just like man, it's this cash that could be in the bank, you know, because once we actually get this thing installed and are able to wrap up the project, we're yeah. able to invoice the customer right away. So trying to, you know, clean up those processes so we can just become more efficient and, um, you know, deliver to the customer faster. So <laughs> I, I felt a huge difference since he's been on board. Daryl, stepping back a little bit just to reflect on now being a small business owner, I want to ask you two related questions as context, running a small business is difficult, is hard. Some people are become are very overwhelmed by it, even if they know it's going to be hard once they actually get into it. Um, they It's harder than they thought it would be. How hard do you think it is in your experience so far? And maybe kind of follow up to that is, how relevant do you think your military supply chain, your your Navy supply chain experience has been? Yeah, no, I, I think the first question, um, how hard has it been? How hard did I think it was going to be? Um, I thought this was going to be a lot easier just based on like my former experiences as like a, a you know, naval officer. Um, and it's been a challenge. I think the timing of it, just like how many different things whether it's like the legal component with the seller that i'm dealing with right now like the personal family component with my daughter being born um just trying to figure out like how i should like best be spending my time like you know working with my dad for the first time like there's all these different um challenges that i i don't think anything can really prepare you for you just have to kind of get in there and do it and be committed to figuring it out um and i think that's what my my navy experience taught me you know like there's no like book for this you know even though you mentioned the books at the beginning of the thing i mean i remember um one of the first books i gave us at the naval academy was like message to garcia um and you know i always 
stuck with me, even though I don't even know if I really fully read it. Um, but it, the, the summary for it was kind of like, you just got to figure it out. Um, and maybe mm. I'm, I, I, <laughs> I might be butchering that uh, takeaway because I, I don't know if I fully uh, read the book. But I think for me, like everything is just like, hey, we'll figure it out. I mean, no challenge is, you know, insurmountable. Um, there are resources. I mean, there are things that we progressively will get better at and figure it out. And I think if you have that mentality, you'll be successful at it, even though, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to people who this hasn't worked out for, and there's things that are outside of your control. But I think that, um, even what talking to them, it's kind of like, Hey, they, they'll get on the saddle again and, 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 and do another one to figure it out. Because I think this mm -hmm. is all like, you can all figure it out. You can, you really can. Daryl, anything more to say about your story before we hear about new majority capital? Yeah, um, I, I can't, um, I can't like tell listeners enough like how much fun I'm having. Like this is this is fun to me. Like it, it is oh. cool. Like you know, being in working with the team, and like at the end of the day, like we like, gotta be having fun doing this stuff, right? And I think you should like know like down you know in your heart whether or not you feel like you're going to be having fun leading people figuring big problems out like you should know like and i think that was part of me like that i knew from like the navy like hey i had like fun doing this but mm -hmm. um like man you gotta you gotta have fun with it and you gotta know you're gonna have fun with this because if you don't like it's it'd be miserable like you know like i think some people like my my wife lover she like she probably wouldn't enjoy this as much, like dealing with all the people issues and like the, the chaos and, you know, the stress of it, you know? Um, but I, I think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so. a, a glutton for pain. Uh, no, 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 yeah. I don't, no, I don't, I don't think that's what it is, Daryl. I think we just all have different things that we gravitate to. And, and your point is that we, this has a very distinct character to run a small business and you yeah. got to really look deep to make sure that 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 the character of what this is is compatible with what you like and how you like to spend your time mm -hmm. absolutely so tell us daryl about new majority capital yeah no well this is you know i i think the other like side of me is like hey i'm living this but i also want to create a framework for other people to do this i think it's so important for us to um get um more um I, I don't know if i necessarily want to use the word you know underrepresented but maybe like non-traditional people who are in the space you know I, I think about like the other business owners i've interacted with whether or not um they've been in the navy you know are you know currently you know with this acquisition and they don't look like me um like you know it's crazy like in rhode island right now i think they're like 168 like business owners with employees who are black, you know, and I think mm -hmm. like, that's like a crazy number or stat for me, like, um, and that shouldn't be that way. So, you know, with new majority capital, you know, our, our goal is to, um, you know, increase the number of, uh, women BIPOC entrepreneurs, um, uh, through small business acquisitions. And, uh, we have a for-profit entity. We have a foundation. Um, I'll start with our foundation, our foundation, we run, um, a 10 week course to, uh, help entrepreneurs from A to Z to go through this process of buying a small business. And I think the beauty of it is that, um, the course, uh, created with, uh, um, some Babson faculty and, you know, my co-founders, 
who, um, you know, have co-founders who have acquired as well. Like, this is like your experiences. Like, Hey, like, what do you need to know? Like, how do you get there? And, uh, we ran our first inaugural cohort in Providence. We had, uh, three entrepreneurs in the cohort who've successfully acquired, um, since we have a cohort right now that we're running down in Atlanta, um, uh, that just started back in September. So hoping to get more of these acquisitions, um, you know, going, you know, people who are able to like help others. Um, and then on the for-profit side, um, raising a fund to be able to uh, finance these acquisitions. I mean, I was very fortunate in my acquisition to be able to use the VA home loan and then uh, take out equity from my house and use that as, you know, the injection to, you know, do a deal. But so many people are not fortunate. And, you know, I think about it and I'm like, hey, man, like this seller would have had an issue trying to sell a business. Um, like, cause it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for multiple people to be able to source capital. So, um, you know, why not make this a win-win, you know, help, you know, business owners who are looking to transition their business, um, you know, do it to a, a new generation of entrepreneurs who are ready to take it on. And, um, that's kind of like the entire goal of what we're doing. So, um, super jazzed up. I feel like it's like the other side of me. Cause I, uh, you know, being an operator and, you know, owner, you know, all the lessons learned and things like that I'm channeling in it and like trying to bring it back to like the majority capital so we can just improve this for the people after us. That's really, that's just so cool, Daryl. And so a couple follow-ups there. So you, in your first cohort, Providence, you've actually had three acquisitions come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's yep. great. I mean, that that's, that's really the, that's kind of a kippy. Yeah. Three of 29. Three so, of 29. So over 10%. And that's just, of course, Maybe some other of those will 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 get across the finish line later. Absolutely, um, yeah, that that's phenomenal. And this is you said ten weeks. So this is is it ten weeks part time, full time? G give people some more color on what it looks like. Ten weeks part time. I mean, you know, we're kind of averaging about ten to twelve hours of like total work for a, a fellow going through the cohort. Uh, but the way we structure it is that we have uh, uh, two uh, virtual sessions on. Uh, Monday and Thursday, you know, every week and then um, other 10 weeks. And then we have some uh, in-person sessions that are scattered throughout about three in-person sessions um, throughout the program. So on average, it's about 10 to 12 hours a week that uh, people going through the cohort spend um, on our programming. Mm -hmm. That's that's um, that's great. And, and, and the, so you and have. Go ahead. You know, I was going to just say, well, the goal is that actively people are looking at opportunities and we're helping them through the opportunities that they're looking at. Um, through the course. So um, that's why. I so that so the course. model is not like by the end of it, they start looking at Sims. You no. want them looking at Sims for the duration. And a lot of this is kind of workshopping actual live deals. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you said you have a cohort going on in Atlanta right now? Yep. And, and didn't you tell earlier me? this week? Yeah. Earlier this week, uh, doing some work with the cohorts. And uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, that, that's great. And, and how many people are in Atlanta in this cohort? Uh, we have 37 right now. Oh, and I think you told me that you were also going to launch one in my backyard here in D.C. That's the plan in next year? Yep, absolutely. So we'll be down in D.C. Um, in February. So uh, applications and all that stuff will open up um, sometime in December. Um, mm -hmm. So definitely we'll post a, a note in the uh the show links or I don't know what you call it actually um, show notes. for that show notes, yeah. excuse me, uh, later on. And 
Daryl, just to circle back to something you said about you used a home equity a line of home equity from your home, mm-hmm. and you were able to buy your to buy your business, and you were able to buy your home because of the VA loan. So you feel like you've benefited from these kind of programs that you you know otherwise wouldn't have had access to capital, and so you're a believer in kind of that things like that can can really move the needle and, and help individuals in a concrete way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm living proof of it right now. You know, yeah. um, buying a Newport, I guess, uh, <laughs> a while ago was a good decision. So, um, <laughs> and succession ready. Have you already talked about succession ready or is that? Yeah, no, no, I haven't. So like, that's the other side of this coin. Um, another program that we uh, uh, developed and delivered. Um, and really, this is for the business owner who is, you know, thinking about transitioning from their business. How can you, you know, get the most value for your business? What do you have to do to put yourself in a position to exit successfully? Um, so that's been great. We ran a cohort of that um, back in Providence last fall, had uh, about 21 uh, business owners who were in that cohort. Um, average business about like $3 million, you know, as far as top line. And they were great, you know, uh, opportunities um so you know you know we're we're kind of thinking our future goal is like you know this is a win-win if we can kind of help you know people from succession ready and then people from our other group uh, beta um that we were talking about uh, before we can kind of marry these two groups up um it's a win-win and um absolutely you know make society a little bit better of a yeah. place fantastic daryl what is is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to get a chance to say yeah no i i um you know, one right now continuing to raise um, for um, fund one for New Majority Capital. So, you know, I know like my biggest like call to action after listening to this, if you're someone who, you know, maybe is thinking about this and um, you know of yourself or people in your network who would be interested in, you know, being an LP in our fund one, um, you know, please uh, reach out. Um, but at the end of the day too, I, I, I can't reiterate enough, like, you don't have to go to business school to do this. Um, but like, please kind of believe in your heart that it's like the right thing for you to do because it's so tough. Um, if it, if it's not, you know, so, um, and it's fun if it is, um, and, uh, a lot of resources and, and people that will help you out. Um, so, um, and I'm one of them, so don't hesitate to reach out. And on that point, Daryl, what's the best way to do that? Daryl, D-A-R-R-Y-L at newmajoritycapital.com. Great. I'll also link to your LinkedIn uh, in the show notes. Is that, do you check LinkedIn? I know that's how we first connected. So I, I guess you do. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I do. I do check the LinkedIn. Great. So you can you can hit me on LinkedIn on no other social media. Though. You don't you don't find me on uh, Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. Okay. So. <laughs> Daryl, Lindy, this has been great. Thank you very much for, for coming on, sharing the story, being transparent, telling us about uh, not only your business acquisition, but, but your other your other projects, new, new majority capital chief among them, which uh, sounds like it's something that, that has the potential to have a whole lot of impact. Absolutely. Thank you, Will, for the time. Really appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Daryl.